Welcome to the Save What You Love podcast, or welcome back, I should say. It's been a few weeks, and I've missed you guys. Uh, my name's Mark Titus. I'm the host of this show. I uh, just want to give you a little housekeeping on uh, what's been happening in the last couple weeks. First off, I got hired to be a producer on the show NCIS with Mark Harmon. Uh, if you've seen this show, you know it's been on for 19 years, and Mark has been a tremendous champion for Bristol Bay in the background and got to bring it to the foreground by writing in a Bristol Bay storyline. If you've seen my film, The Wild, you know Mark's in the film. And over the last several years, he's been working on a way to, in a fictional way, to tell the Bristol Bay story inside of this wonderful hit show that has been on for so long. So uh, they brought me on, got to advise, and film an episode in Bristol Bay in September it aired on the 11th of October, and it's episode four. It's called Great Wide Open. You can just do a Google search for NCIS, watch it right off of their platform online. Give it a look. It's great. Second thing is we had a really wonderful event in Boulder, Colorado, with my friends and partners at Backpackers Pantry and the Wild Salmon Center. You heard Guido on the podcast last time around. Guido is the uh, the CEO of Wild Salmon Center and those folks and and Ava's Wild and Backpackers Pantry teamed up to create Rocky Mountain Wild. Hopefully you tuned in. It was uh, a live stream of a screening of the wild as well as uh, some wonderful music by Melanie Brown and her band Sunny Porch and a live panel afterwards. We raised some money for United Tribes of Bristol Bay and the Defend Bristol Bay Coalition uh, if you did not get a chance to contribute to that, uh, just head over to defendbristolbay.org. And um, now we're back. We're back in ordinary time, as it were, and we're going to be bringing you a lot more shows. Today's episode is wonderful. I get to interview my friend Kel Moody, who is the director of Salmon Nation's Festival of What Works, which begins tonight, November 2nd. It runs through the 7th. I will let Kel tell you all about it in the episode. They are a tremendous leader in the business world as well as in this space in Salmon Nation of creating place-based initiatives to live well. So all week, check out Salmon Nation Festival of What Works. Kel will give you the uh, URL here down the line, uh, but you can just go to salmonnation.net. I've got two events that I'm hosting on, uh, let's see, it's going to be on Friday the 5th and Saturday the 6th. Hope you can tune in. Uh, also, we're getting ready for the holidays. It got some pretty cool announcements coming up, starting with Ava's Wild is coming out with our very own wild salmon jerky. It's shelf stable. It's something you're definitely going to want in your pocket, taking hikes, taking snowshoeing, taking skiing, standing in a river, spay casting, you name it. It's going to be something that's going to be a go-to for you for a protein hit. It's delicious. It was uh, The recipe was created by my friend Kevin Scribner. Uh, so listen, enjoy the show today. Glad we're back. And uh, you can go to avaswild.com to keep in touch with all the things we're doing and to get ready for the holidays. And I hope you enjoy the show today. See you down the trail. How do you say what you love when the world is burning down? How do you say what you love and bushes come to show? How do you say what you love? 
Kel Moody, welcome. Where are you joining us from today? I am on traditional Cowlitz and Chinook territories, now known as Vancouver, Washington. The other Vancouver, as I like the to call it. The other Vancouver, <laughs> right? Yeah, I was just I was just pondering uh, the, your location, um, thinking about it ahead of time on the way to the show here today, and um, it, you, you're in a good spot. I mean, you've got sort of the um, no income tax from the Washington side, and then the uh, you're you're going down to or you can get stuff in Oregon with no, no sales tax. That is, that's true. There is a little bit of, um, being in this location is a, is a nice, like, I guess, tax avoidant place, but, um, yeah, I guess we don't really do that intentionally necessarily that much. Uh, but I will say that it is nice to not have to pay income tax uh, coming from having lived in Portland m- most mm-hmm. of my life and especially adult kind of career life. Well, you, you know, it, it's, the grass is always greener, it, it, no matter oh, for what. For sure. You know for what I mean? Sure. And, um, but I will say, I did one time take advantage of this very lovely thing. And uh, I, I went to Oregon to get my wife's um, engagement ring. And, oh, uh, yeah. It was the biggest check I ever wrote at a Costco, at Costco <laughs> Jewelers. Costco, that's, I love that's it. That's exactly right. Yes. Oh, I yeah. love it. Yeah. We had a friend in the industry, as it were, in Costco, and uh, she's like, yeah, let's let's make this happen, man. Let's go. So it nice. was it was beautiful, but it was like, there's a guy buying tomatoes, and there's I'm writing this check for this thing. It was very, very surreal. <laughs> that is great. That's a great story. That's a good, good use of that system, for sure. Well, it was, and, you know, and spread the love. So um, speaking of stories, would you do us the honor and, and tell us your story? How, where... How did you come into the work that you do and what keeps you going on a daily basis? Where, what's the Kel story um, bringing us to today? Yeah, well, I'll actually maybe start with the end and what keeps me going and then I'll, I'll circle back because it's all really kind of, I think, quite cyclical and also like uh, kind of snake-like in that it goes all over the place. I like um, it. So I'd say like the two kind of core things in my being that kind of drives me are um, the idea of a strong sense of place and emulating water. Mm. So to me, like strong sense of place is kind of the thing that, that helps people feel like they have true motivation to do well. And I think that strong sense of place comes from kind of three different things. Um, one is, is kind of a, a deep knowing and understanding of yourself. Another is a uh, sense of belonging in your community. And then the other is a rooted connection to the land that you're on. And I think if you have those three things, then you can have a strong sense of place. And that strong sense of place really can help. I mean, for me, I can speak for myself, but I think it really inspires um, me to do well for my community, for the land, and for myself. And so that's kind of what pushes me to to be a positive contributor. Uh, The other thing that is, I guess, more... um, 
personal and, and somewhat spiritual, I would say, is this idea of, of being like water. And mm-hmm. uh, to me, water is super strong and also very soft. It, has, it holds these dualities. Like, it can erode rock, but you can also float in it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like this this really powerful kind of element that I think emulates this idea of like subtle strength um, and also not so subtle at the same time. And I really, I try to use it as kind of a, almost like a mentor, I would say, uh, to kind of be like, okay, be like water. It's also like extremely flexible. You know, you can, uh, it will mold into any shape. It's also the only element that exists in all three phases, liquid, solid, gas. I mean, I could talk about this forever, but I think it, water just is something that really inspires me. Uh, and I love, love, love to be near water. I'd say particularly love being near like mountain streams or rivers. And it's just, you know, those negative ions, man. <laughs> really gets you but yeah so those are kind of two things but I'd say um you know I grew up uh living you know in a really suburban area um my family is you know I'm descendants of of white settler Europeans um some of who have been on uh Turtle Island for lots of generations obviously not as many as indigenous peoples um but, you know, it kind of goes back to that original, what I say, like white settler land stealers. Like I have some family that came over on the Oregon Trail, um, some of the first like white land claim holders. Um, and so that's like a pretty complex um, history to kind of grapple with, I would say. I think, you know, it's important to me to acknowledge that that is part of my heritage uh, and with that, I kind of try to take the stance of, uh, well, then it's my responsibility uh, to do as much as I possibly can to repair the damage that was done and the harm that was done. And I try to do that through building relationships and then offering any gift that I might have um, towards the cause of of repair and also not just fixing what was wrong, but building something better. Mm. Um, I also am, uh, I am a partner. I am a parent. I have a almost two year old child and going through the, uh, toddler phase of life right now. So that's super fun. (laughs) She's adorable. (laughs) Love her to death. Um, and she's such a sweet kid. Um, her name's Josephine. Mm. Um, and I also am uh, trans. I am identify as non-binary. Um, I identify as trans-masculine. And um, I use they, them pronouns. And that's been a journey I've, I mean, on some level all my life have been going on. Um, but I'd say really wasn't for the past, what year is it? Probably like four to five <laughs> years that I really kind of came into that identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been quite a journey as well. So, and, and I would say what got me, this, this is, there's so much to say, right, Mark? Um, but what got me here 
what I'm doing right now with the festival of what works is, is kind of all of it, I guess. I mean, I've spent a lot of years doing random things. Like I was a tour guide. I've been a professional woodworker. I've worked in sales. Um, I've worked for coffee roasters. I've done a lot of random things, but somehow each of those things kind of contributed in some way to making me uh, kind of fit for the role that I'm in now. I completely identify with that. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. We could, we could have a weird job off because uh, <laughs> I've, I've done window installation. I've done myriad restaurant food server jobs. Um, I've done shellfish farming and I get it. It's like, and then you look back and you're like, wow, you know, at the time I had no freaking idea why I was doing this stuff. It seemed pointless. And, and here we are. And all of it seems to have a little piece, a little fractal mosaic part in um, being in the present right now. Um, yeah. And love, love that. And I love that you're embracing that. And thank you for sharing part of your journey with, with us. And, um, I, you know, I have such admiration for you in asking the hard questions and your courage and, um, and being such a natural leader in, uh, the space that you've created for yourself. Um, and man, do I identify with water, especially being in the mountains. And, um, I mean, we've talked about this before, but, and, and frankly, you know, on this show, it's such an interesting, I don't know. I think that of all the things that bring us common, uh, confluence on this show, when we're having these discussions, water seems to be that main stem. And I just mm. love it for all the reasons you said, and I've never heard all of those reasons put together in the same bundle. So, um, just love that description. You mentioned the festival of what works. Uh, many of us are grateful, super grateful that you are the director of the festival of what works. <laughs> what is it and what can we expect this coming week? Yeah. Well, it's, gosh, it's one of the most exciting things that I've had the privilege of working on. And I would say, I say that because it's not at all. I don't even see, it's not at all about me. Um, and that's what I love about it is because I just get to like help uh, and kind of guide maybe a little bit and um, uplift other people. And that feels really great. Um, so the festival is a week long celebration of sharing ideas to live well in place, to say it simply. Um, it is a celebration of Salmon Nation, the bioregion. Uh, which is uh, the north slope of Alaska to, you know, central or northern California um, and inward, basically wherever Pacific salmon, Pacific wild salmon uh, have ever historically gone or are currently thriving mm -hmm. and, any, and everywhere in between that. Um, so the, the bioregion is just such a hub of innovation and, and not in the ways that you might originally just think oh innovation like a lot of people think oh like silicon valley and urban centers and you know entrepreneurs in these like really high level places but we're talking about entrepreneurship out in rural communities out in indigenous communities in you know urban um you know 
BIPOC communities. These are places that they actually have some of the best ideas. They just don't often get the credit for them. Um, and or they don't seem to have enough access to resources to, to scale and replicate them. So part of the goal of the festival is to kind of find these, these ideas, find these people and help kind of share and spread the amazing kind of concepts that they've come up with. Um, and so, you know, it's part about, about kind of um, exploring these ideas. It's also about, I think, really just helping people kind of unite around what's similar. Um, I think sense of place can do a lot for that because um, we all want to be in a strong community. I think we all want to feel tied to the place that we are. And I think if we can all acknowledge that, then there's a lot that we can do together. So it's about empowering kind of this idea that you have within every single person, there is the capacity to contribute something meaningful. And I think we also, we get so easy right now to get so bogged down with all the negative stuff that's going on. It is overwhelming, to be honest. And I honestly just think, you know, it's a little bit about shifting the narrative to what's working. What are people doing that's actually changing things, even if incrementally so? And I think, you know, really feeling, helping people feel like they have the capacity to, to do that as well um, is another kind of part about the festival that we want to make sure that people walk away with. Can you give us a couple examples of uh, things that, you know, you're looking forward to that uh, you feel like are really great examples of what's working in our bioregion and that might have a good chance of getting replicated. Yeah, gosh, there are so many cool things that we're sharing. Um, one that's like been kind of top of mind um, it recently has been uh, this event that we're doing. It's actually workshop style um, that really is involving the audience more. Um, it's called The Power of Placemaking. And um, it is highlighting um, two kind of different projects. And uh, there's two representatives from each project. Um, one is uh, called Calm on Wood. It's, a, it's down in um, Oakland. And they are a, uh, a houseless encampment, encampment. And a bunch of uh, folks kind of got together and came into this area and built a bunch of like a beautiful cob structures and there's uh, a kitchen and there's uh, kind of a, a place to go for medicinal needs. There's showers, there's, you know, gathering places. And it just really like elevated the, um, there's my dog. There's probably somebody, uh, at the door. Sorry about this is, that. This is a dog friendly program. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, we're good. Um, yeah. So it, it basically just, it like really elevated people's quality of life who are living in this space. And it, again, it, this is really about like placemaking. Like they came in and created strength of place for these people. Um, and stuff like that, I think is just so important, um, especially right now with just the 
really tragic amount of, of houseless folks um, kind of up and down the coast. Um, you know, it was a problem before COVID, but exacerbated by COVID. COVID. Um, so that's one example. Um, the other one is up in Seattle, um, where you are, Mark. It's called Feed the People Plaza. Um, they kind of took over this vacant lot and painted a mural and turned it into a community gathering space. And it's just been this incredible kind of hub uh, for the community, kind of got community members involved in doing the, the mural together. And just, it's stuff like that. I think that just, it's just this tiny little spark that can just really turn into a flame. Um, and instead of kind of doing these presentations and then having the audience ask questions, uh, what we're doing instead is each each project is going to kind of present their project and then they're going to ask the audience a question. And so we're going to have people kind of go into breakout groups and talk about what their answer is. And there's things like, you know, what can I do for my community? Um, what are some things that I've seen happen or, you know, really just kind of exploring that and, and actually trying to turn it inward and, and have people do more self-reflection. Um, that's one that I can think of. Um, you want more? I've got no, so I, many more. <laughs> no, I, and I do. And we'll, I think we're going to come back to, to yeah. this uh, as we loop toward the end. But um, I, I'd also like to hear a little bit more about your worldview on a couple other matters. So yeah, yeah. Um, I want to come back to sense of place. I, I think that it, I'm, I'm right with you. Uh, I, I can pinpoint the moment when uh, I had my revelation of sense of place. I was living in Southeast Alaska, um, caretaking the lodge that I, I guided at in Yes Bay Lodge and realized in, uh, with complete sure fire in my chest that I was home and, um, and, and meaning like in this bioregion, in this area that it, is connected by salmon. At what point did you come to that realization that sense of place is so strongly important in your life? And why do you believe developing a strong sense of place brings purpose to individuals and communities? Mm. You know, I don't know if I could pinpoint it to one moment. I think it was a journey. Um, you know, I mentioned that I, I grew up in this area, um, which is nowadays, uh, if if you're a person living in the Portland metropolitan area, pretty rare to run into people that grew up here because it's just been such a place where lots of transplants have, have come. I don't know if it's even a, a kind enough term. <laughs> people have moved here a lot. Um, there's a lot of reasons why, and I totally get it. Um so I think there's some sort of like sense of identity that I have around being from here um, and just spending almost my entire life here. Um, and that's, I think, even a rare thing, no matter where you are. Um, it's, I think our society is so accustomed now to like moving all over the place. And that's such a common experience that it's not that often that people stay in one place. Um, I also... I also think it has to do with not being here and my experiences of not being here. I studied abroad in Thailand and lived there for about six months when I was in college, you know, really formative time in your life. 
And people there have a really strong sense of place. And I think it's, it's not until you kind of go somewhere else and kind of see things from the outside that you can kind of then apply that same understanding to where you are. And so I think part of me kind of, you know, witnessed people's identity and sense of place so tied to where they were when I was, you know, getting to know people in Thailand. And then it kind of, it was really like a a moment of self-reflection where I was like, oh gosh, like, I guess I have similar feelings about where I live. Um, weird. This is a weird story that I, I did not think I would, that would pop up into my brain right now. But, um, when I was in, <laughs> in Thailand, the Twilight series, film series came out. I think the first one came out and I had never read the books and I wasn't really that into it, but I had made friends with this, this like group of Thai, um, students and there was like four of them and we always hung out. It was awesome. Um, they took me to, to see Twilight because they were super excited about it. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, and we, we got there and, you know, it's filmed in Washington, right? It's filmed in Forks. Forks. And I saw all of the forests and I saw all of the scenery. And I was like, oh, I miss home. And like that, I think maybe there was a little moment right there, which is weird because I was watching Twilight in a movie theater in Thailand. Um, but there was something about seeing that. I was like, oh, wow, like that is home to me. And so, I mean, it's, it's moments like that. There's lots of, of moments I think I can point to that maybe being one. Um, and then I, you're... Yeah, I, ident- I totally identify with that too. Like <laughs> I, my first year of college... Uh, Way back when, in uh, 1990, um, I was in Minnesota at St. Olaf College, and that's when Twin Peaks had come out. And the very beginning with Snoqualmie Falls and the trees and the mist, and it was I got completely heartsick for being at home. I completely mm-hmm. understand what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. I think it's such a great point uh, that you, you make here about go away, like go, you know, Go explore, uh, find your find your purpose, find your journey, um, and it it comes into snaps into focus very quickly if if it is your place or if it's not. And um, I, I just have never thought about it from that perspective. But you're you're so right. And what do you think about this sense of place brings purpose to people like you, to me, to to folks in Salmon Nation or the Gulf Coast or any other part of the world, Thailand, um, why, why do you think it brings more purpose and drive, uh, to, to live well to individuals and communities? Um, you know, I, I think there's something that we as humans like can't deny about the fact that having relationship with land and I guess not just, I don't mean ground necessarily. I mean like ecosystems. Um, I think it's pretty undeniable that humans feel a part of ecosystems. And it's, I think, you know, easy nowadays because we live in these boxes and 
we're attached to these screens and we can have contact with anyone in the world, anywhere, anytime. Uh, most of our, the things that we consume are not necessarily from, I mean, I'd say for an average person, um, especially in, you know, Western countries, um, are not from where we are. But there's still this tie, like people feel like rooted in places where they have attachments to. And I think, like to me, that's such a central part of the human experience. I mean, feeling rooted and, and part of an ecosystem is so important. And I think that is what Again, I think I said this a little bit at the beginning, but I think that's what helps people like want to do good and want to be good. And by good, I guess I mean positively contribute to their community and their society. Because when you feel attached to something, you want to protect it. I think that's human nature. You know, I would do anything to protect my kid, right? I would also like do anything to protect this place. And I think there is like this kind of thing about attachment that um, that I think kind of is part of it. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's kind of how I would try to explain that. It, <laughs> I mean, it is, I think there is also a, something that's not explainable, right? Absolutely. It, yeah, there there is a it's a gut feel too. But um, there, I think this is a decided approach. Um, obviously it's the name of the show. Uh, if you love something, that is a common language and it is, uh, the heart space is the most powerful, potent space. I mean, things come and they go outside in our brains. I mean, we, you know, if you, if you have any kind of a meditation practice, you, you work toward acknowledging that that's just a thought and you let it go. And we can't really have a lot of control over that, but your heart space now that that's that's what drives the big things, the big decisions in our lives, the big um, values that we hold dear, and that's I agree with you. That is where place resides, and uh, and if it's there, you're you're going to want it to thrive for the next generation, and ideally, as our um, indigenous brothers and sisters have so well uh, made an example of seven generations. Um, mm -hmm. out and and uh, some somewhere along the line uh, you know in the last couple hundred years we lost that and I think a lot of this work uh, that we believe in is um, is to try to uh, emulate that and regain that um, mm -hmm. another way that I know you are very astute at in um, celebrating place and trying to do good and and live well is through business Mm -hmm. Um, what is it about, um, business that you believe can be a force for good? And can you give us some examples of that? Yeah. Um, well, as you know, I am pretty involved in the B Corp community. And for those who are not familiar with what a B Corp is, it's, it's, uh, basically a, a certification that for-profit businesses can get, and they get that through filling out a fairly rigorous assessment that kind of touches on really all aspects of your business um, and measures kind of in five different categories what uh, 
what your business is or isn't doing to make sure that you have positive impact, um, and, you know, environmentally, socially, it's, it's really kind of all of those things. Um, and I think, I think government is important. I think there are reasons that we have government. I get it. I, I think it's pretty ineffective personally at, at kind of tackling our challenges and, I think the, as even I think the government shows, um, businesses have a lot of power. And, and to me, that power translates to responsibility. And so as a for-profit business with power, I think it's really, um, there's a lot of capacity that the business community has to actually create some really positive change. You know, as individuals, sure, we can do stuff. We absolutely can. Um, and collectively, each of us doing things can create positive impact. So I'm not counting that out. Um, I also think that businesses have enormous um, capacity for impact. And so I think it's really important that the business community steps up to that responsibility um, with the crises that we're facing. You know, the climate crisis, social justice crises. Um, it just, there's a lot that business community can do. So, uh, you know, biz, businesses such as certified B Corps often um, are the people that are putting their, their kind of power behind those movements um, to, to do good. You know, I'll give an example like Patagonia. Um, they're, they're a certified B Corp. Um, they do a lot to, you know, create their clothing there, you know, they have recycled materials that they're testing out. I think they were doing something with like turning old fish nets into fabric. Um, I think they've also are working with a company that does that. Um, they also do things like pull all of their money from Facebook ads. I've recently seen that come up. Um, they also do things like say, we're not going to sell branded uh, clothing to corporations that we don't believe in or that we don't, you know, are, that don't align with our values. Um, and that's a big deal for companies to do stuff like that. But it makes a huge difference. There's also companies like Ben & Jerry's, also a certified B Corp, who have really made some powerful statements around the social justice movement and Black Lives Matter. And, um, you know, they're not just like making these statements, they're actually doing stuff behind those statements. And so um, those are maybe a couple examples, but there's some like real, real capacity for a change in the business community. Well, as you know, um, Avis Wild is a, definitely on that track to, uh, to work into a B Corp mold. And I know that there's a lot of responsibility and, and, uh, there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And, uh, so the folks that are excelling in it have really towed the line and put the work in and put the money, you know, put their money where their mouth is. Um, and, and you're right. The, the examples you listed, I mean, I've, I've got more Patagonia stuff than I probably should, but there's a reason for it. I, I feel really good and confident about, uh, about investing my money with that company. 
first of all, their stuff really works. And, um, you know, when you're out standing on a river for 10 hours and you want your stuff to work. Uh, and, and secondly, you know, when you know that that money that you are giving them is being reinvested in things like finding uses for old fishing nets for a practical application, um, that's where we need to be heading. So Mm -hmm. love all of that. And you and I will be continuing this conversation offline, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what advice do you have, uh, both as Kel, as a person, and also as the director of the Festival of What Works? What advice do you have for young or nascent entrepreneurs? Mm. Well, I'm still learning. So, gosh, um, I, I think my, my approach to the work that I've done has often been about, you know, people can call it like things like stewardship leadership or, uh, you know, I, I basically try to decenter myself in pretty much everything that I do. And I like to try to be around a lot of really smart people and be maybe one of the, the least smart. I'm not going to say dumb. I'm not dumb. I would like to, I like to be one of the least smart people in the room that I am in. Word. Um, yeah, me too. It's so, uh, it's really empower, empowering to, to kind of be around really inspiring people. And so I try to do that. Um, and, you know, I really just try to set the people up around me for success. And that's kind of how I approach leadership is that if I'm doing my job right, then everyone else can do, can bring their best work and also their best selves. Like, I think it's so important to allow people to be full humans everywhere they go. Just because we're in a professional setting or we're at work does not mean that you can't show up as your whole self. And there's certain people that don't really have the option not to, you know, as a person that's trans and non-binary, like it's such an unfamiliar identity for so many people that I don't really have the option not to expose that part of myself. And so I think it's really important for people to feel like they can just show up fully. And whether that means, you know, like, hey, I can't make it to this meeting today because some, you know, thing came up. My, you know, dog needs to go to the vet or I just don't feel good or, you know, it could be anything. But being able to do that and be real about it and be like met with complete care and understanding like I hope that that's what people um feel when working with me is that they feel like they can be just real and then met with respect and care um I can attest as one who (laughs) does work with you that um you are doing a great job at that and uh it's it's a lot to hold um you've got responsibility to the work you're doing um 
the to the outcomes you're hoping for, the people that have entrusted you with that work. But at the same time, showing up as a genuine human being who gives a shit is um, that that can't be underestimated as the most I feel the most valuable part of um, moving an initiative forward. Um, oh yeah, I mean, what are we doing if if that's not part of it? Like, mm-hmm. why even? try to change the to like shift narratives and and approach like mass scale systems change if you're not internally allowing people to really show up as themselves like if that's not part of the systems change that that we're creating then like to me that's that's not it what a wonderful segue um, into uh, as we start heading down the home stretch here into this next question I have for you. Um, as you know, as we all know, uh, we are so divided here in the United States. I mean, Canada too, but pointedly here in the United States, despite our political and social differences, from your point of view, where do we begin healing our wounds and coming together to survive and thrive here in Salmon Nation and beyond? I mean, that is the question, isn't it, Mark? I mean, <laughs> if I had the answer to that question, um, gosh, well, if anybody had the answer to that question, um, that would be great. <laughs> but I mean, you know, to, to kind of pretend like I know what I'm talking about, um, I think it comes back to this kind of uniting around around the things that, that we do have in common. And I think, you know, as I've been talking about, I think having a shared sense of place is one of those things. I think it, it's a such a it's such a delicate balance to be able to hold people's unique identities uh as and honor those and hold them in kind of importance while also finding the ways that we are similar and finding the, the things that we connect on. And I also think it's just about like respect. I think just if we could just really honestly, and I can't even say that I can do this myself, but if we could really honestly just have honest, genuine respect for people, um, you know, across the board. I think that would probably do a lot for us. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard when, you know, there are people out in this world that would, that would think that I don't even have a right to exist. You know, there are people in this world that, you know, want to erase my being um they want to not they want me to not be part of this world they want me and and that's shown through things like you know bathroom bills um that's shown through you know trans athletes being you know discriminated against banned you know outright just i mean completely disrespected as humans um all of those things it make it really hard. Um, and so I think, gosh, it's, it's going to be such a journey and it, it only seems to be, you know, 
getting further exacerbated. So there has to be some sort of shift that happens um, in order to kind of get us back to, well, maybe we've never been there, but get us to something where we really do kind of look at people. uh, And first, our first thought is this is a person who deserves to be respected, who deserves to be loved, who deserves to be treated with kindness. And if that is the first thing that we approach our interactions with, that would do a lot, but it's, we're so easily on the defense, I think. We are, and we're, we're siloed. I mean, and the, obviously COVID has completely compounded that. You know, uh, social media has so compounded that. Um, and what drives me, you know, bananas is that um, there are people that have monetarily profited from that and, and continue to by dividing people further. Um, you know, um, various news outlets, uh, obviously we've touched on Facebook, uh, profiting immensely from creating divisive silos for people. I mean, even in the ways that we, you know, you mentioned earlier, like we, we live in this boxed society. We live in a box. We go to work in a box when we do go to work unless we're staying in the original box to work right. uh, and, and then we literally go in a cube box to go at work and then back in a box to go back to the box. And, you know, there is a real uh, loneliness in that. And, and, and also there's a, when, as a person in recovery, I can speak to this, um, the heart, the root of my disease is in isolation because my mind, if left rampant, can uh, can go all kinds of places that I do not need to be going. And yeah. um, I saw a guy, um, I went out to the river yesterday and uh, went spay casting just to practice for a few hours. It was beautiful. It was just beautiful. The Snoqualmie River had been flooding and now it had come down and it was uh, golden leaves and blue sky and mountains and just, you know, kind of zen blissed out. And on the way home, there was a, Big, big ass truck with a big ass flag that said Kinsley on it, our governor. And yeah, giant flag. And it's, you know, it's distracting and it, everything else. And honestly, you know, my react, this is, this is a re- reaction that I've had is, is immediately to take the bait and, you know, um, and, and to, to react to, to that. And instead, yesterday, I don't know how this happened, but. I was able to think about the man driving that truck in the way that you just described as a human. I have no idea what this, this person's suffering is like. I have no idea what this person's story is. I have no idea why they feel like they got to express themselves this way, but instantly, instantly going into the um, heart space of this person as a person it got me out of that reactive space that, you know, uh, that I was going to drift into and then spin on for the next hour, you know? Um, and it's a gift to myself. And so, um, I think that to add on to what you were saying, getting ourselves out of these boxes when we can physically, 
God help us all, uh, you know, hopefully sooner than later. Um, when you experience something together, when you eat a meal together, when you watch a sunset together, when you sit around a fire together, you go to a sports game together. I mean, I think that's, that's when the, a case can be made, you know, say what you will about sports and there's all kinds of stupid stuff with professional <laughs> sports, but, but that sense of community. And that's, that's one of those things, sense of place, sense of community. Like where, where can we find opportunities to, um, to weave these narratives together that don't put us back in these silos in this anonymous space on social media or in our car, you know, on, on any side politically. I mean, there's people that have bumper stickers up and down that are, you know, saying Trump and like mm-hmm. it, it, it's the same thing. Yeah. There um, really is something about the gatherings, I think. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's another thing that the festival is trying to do right now. We, we only have virtual worlds. So now I'm just going to ask you to, you know, come into a box and then join us on a box and look at a box. <laughs> um, but I, I really do think there is something about gatherings and I, you know, as we kind of move out of, of this COVID time that we're living in, the festival will be a, a gathering. Um, it will be a, an in-person gathering at some point. Um, which form that takes, I don't know yet, but there's something really powerful about being with other people and, and sharing experiences And I think, you know, we're trying to do that in a virtual space right now. We're doing everything we can to kind of make it interactive and bring people in to feel like they're part of something Um, because that's, that's the safest way to do it right now. But um, there's still something there, you know, about being in community with people, sharing that same kind of experience. I think that's a really powerful thing to help kind of bring people together as well. I agree. And, and, uh, you and, and the other architects who have, uh, created this festival of what works space have done such a great job of dealing with the confines that we have about, again, being a box into a box and, and, and talking to a screen, um, have made it feel very lifelike. And, uh, and there, there is so much, that people want to share and are willing to give freely in this uh, festival, in this bioregion that we live in. And um, you, you mentioned some of the examples earlier on, but can you give us an idea of what are you, Kel, specifically looking forward to this week, most of all, within the Festival of What Works? I, Other than a good night's sleep at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I am looking forward to seeing the light in people's eyes. Um, and it happened last year plenty of times. Um, and it was just so exciting. It, you know, whether it's a one of our speakers or presenters who's sharing something and you just can see the excitement in what they're sharing. You can see the passion just oozing out of them. And then you can kind of see some interactions take place with, you know, some of these panels are people that don't necessarily know each other um, coming together. And the exchange that people had last year, um, just seeing kind of eyes light up around, oh, there's something 
there's something similar that you're doing and like that somehow like validates people's experiences. It also can open their eyes to new ways of thinking about what they're doing. And, you know, I think there's something really powerful about being in a position where you get to share your story, sometimes articulating what you're doing to a group of people who have no idea who you are and who are may, may or may not, um, and who have maybe no idea uh, the power of the work that you're doing. Being able to articulate that can really be an empowering experience. Um, and so I'm excited about that. I'm also excited to, to hear people's responses, to see how people get excited about what we're sharing and what they're excited about and what it's encouraging them to do. Because I think that there's something really, um, really powerful there. You know, we try to make sure that our speakers, our speakers all get honorariums for participating. Um, so they're getting, you know, monetary exchange. But I also really hope that there's more than that. Um, that they're getting something else out of this experience that's more, you know, meaningful than maybe some cash. I mean, that's that, you know, it's important that we value people's time by giving them money. That's the, that's the system that we live in. And I think that's important to do, but I also think it's important that, you know, we're building relationships with these people in other ways. I agree. And uh, it does shine through. I've seen it, the light in, in the eyes that you've talked about. Um, one last thing here on Salmon Nation. Uh, I love this place. You love this place. And there are so many wonderful humans that live in this place and live well in this place that we're going to be able to learn from this, this coming week. Mm-hmm. But what is it about the wild and nature that um, – is so central to the work that you do? Why do you have such a reverence for it? Gosh, Mark, coming in hard. Um, I, I honestly feel like there's something that's not really explainable about it. It's more of a feeling. And I think it's probably different for everybody, but there's something, I mean, I got to go, on a hike yesterday. And like you said, it's a beautiful day. And just being out in a place where you're surrounded by trees and fresh air and the wind and the sounds of birds and running water and you smell amazing, you know, forest loamy, you know, all sorts of, you know, decaying things and fresh things. And you can feel the ground under your feet. And uh, gosh, my kid was like obsessed with all the mushrooms. <laughs> Just like obsessed with seeing all the mushrooms. I mean, it, you know, a 20 month old child it already has this reverence for being out in nature. I don't think, I don't know if that's explainable. It's just the feeling that you get. We are a part of it. And yeah. as much yeah, as we've tried absolutely. to distance distance ourselves and uh, inoculate ourselves from it, we are made of the same clay of it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think there's no better indicator than what you just, you know, used as an example, as mm-hmm. uh, Josephine's 
awe, wonder, natural, unprompted, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, sticks were like the most exciting thing. I mean, you know, that kind of like, it's, I can't explain why that's so exciting to her. It is <laughs> like, but it's also exciting to me, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, speaking it from a, as a, a male growing up as a, a young, I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, find some sticks and you are set for the, the afternoon, <laughs> the afternoon, you know, like kids finding sticks and doing battle. It's oh, a, yeah. It never gets old. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. And Kel, I got a, probably the most important question of the day here for you to, to wrap this up. What is it with odd numbers? What about odd numbers? What well, is it with you I, and odd numbers? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I'm a person that um, I like things organized and orderly. <laughs> yes, you do. And I think, I think odd numbers are harder to make orderly. <laughs> They're, like, a little <laughs> bit rebellious for some reason. They have this, like, rebellious air. And I have nothing against rebellion. Like, don't get me wrong. All about it. Um, but... There's, you know, I like can't have, uh, you know, the volume of, you know, on your stereo on an odd number, like, or your TV or something like <laughs> things like that are so silly, but like, it's just, you know, this little neuroses that I have. Um, and it's funny because I, I was born on an odd date, um, both year and day of the month. Um, I have a lot of I, my anniversaries on an odd date. Uh, my kid was born on an odd date. You know, they kind of haunt me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just don't like them. Don't trust them. You know, maybe it's meant to, <laughs> to ba balance you out. It's uh, it's the, the yeah yin to, yin to your yang. And yeah. uh, it's funny, yeah. though, because I, 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 was, I just came across that in uh, one of your bios. <laughs> and I was like... I completely identify. I, I love even numbers too, because of the probably the German side from my mom's side of the family. You know, like it's just complete yeah. orderly uh, craziness. Maybe that's <laughs> it. I have some German in me too. Um, I don't know. I just I, I like things in a certain way. I mean, you know, it's just all these little 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 quirks that we all have. I'm sure in some way or another. Indeed we do. And from a person that is uh, downstream of the work that you do, we are grateful for it. So thank, thank you, you for, for being obsessed with, with numbers and order. And uh, you've listened to the show, I know. So yeah. you're, we've come to that point in the show where um, we're asking you the bonus question. Really to drill down on what it is that are the things that are most important to you that you would say. <clears throat> if, if you were in the path of a flooding river and you only had a couple minutes to grab one physical thing out of the house, what would it be? You know, you're right, Mark. I have listened to your podcast, <laughs> and so I've thought about this a lot, actually. And I knew you would. Um, and I, it's still hard. It's still hard to find an answer. Um, the, the thing that has come to my mind the most, and I'll say I, I have a um, water and fireproof safe, so, like, there's stuff in there that would probably be okay still. So, um, barring the, like, passport documentation and, and all that kind of stuff, um, the USB drive from our, our wedding album, which is in there, 
Um, so I'm cheating a little bit. Um, I think I would take this Christmas cactus plant that is older than me. Uh, it used to be my parents. Hmm. Um, my parents are divorced and my dad has actually passed away two years ago. Mm. Uh, but he was a horticulturist. Um, and yeah, I think I would take the plant hard to replace that. Totally legit. Wow. Older than you, man, that is, that is really amazing. Um, you think about turtles and I, I guess you're right. Cacti. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Cactus, the physical thing. How about too emotional or uh, spiritual or, you know, um, esoteric things that make Cal Cal? What are, what are those two things that if you could only grab two, what are those features that you would, you would pull out of the flood? Take with you. Mm. Probably just how much I care about things and maybe also my intuition. Mm. Both uh, visible qualities uh, in you and uh, I heartily concur. (laughs) Well, Cal Cal Moody, uh, director of Salmon Nation's Festival of What Works, can you give us the skinny on how to how to tune in this week and how to be a part of this thing and how to where to go online to uh, follow your work and this important work with Salmon Nation? Yeah, absolutely. So the festival is starting on Tuesday night. We have a kickoff event and then a couple performances, um, and then it goes through Sunday. So this November second through the seventh. Um, all of our sessions are going to be streaming uh, live on the festival website. Uh, the, there are also Zoom sessions for the more interactive experiences that you can get linked to through the website directly as well. Um, the website, you can go to festivalofwhat.works is probably the simplest and quickest way to get there. That's our kind of main festival um the website that exists throughout the year, but there's a, a real quick and easy link to get to this year's event uh, website there. You can register um, for events. It's free or pay what you can. Uh, we really just want as many people to get their eyes on this stuff um, as possible. So um, that is that is the hope um, to just get everybody to join us. Cal, so grateful for your work, grateful for your friendship, grateful for your leadership. Thank you for jumping on the show today. Can't wait to see the magic, the alchemy that you've cooked up this coming week uh, in Salmon Nation's Festival of What Works, and uh, we'll see you down the trail. Thank you so much, Mark. Great hanging with you. Great hanging. See ya. How do you say what you love? Thank you for listening to Save What You Love. If you like what you're hearing, you can help keep these conversations coming your way by giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can check out photos and links from this episode at avaswild.com. While there, you can join our growing community by subscribing to our newsletter. You'll get exclusive offers on wild salmon shipped to your door and notifications about upcoming guests and more great content on the way. 
That's at avaswild.com. That's the word save, spelled backwards, wild.com. This episode was produced by Tyler White and edited by Patrick Troll. Original music was created by Whiskey Class. This podcast is a collaboration between Ava's Wild Stories and Salmon Nation and was recorded on the homelands of the Duwamish people. We'd like to recognize these lands and waters and their significance for the peoples who lived and continue to live in this region, whose practices and spiritualities were and are tied to the land and the water, and whose lives continue to enrich and develop in relationship to the land, waters, and other inhabitants today.